a look of the situation report. It is December 27th. Hard to believe it's already December 27th. A little John Williams called Some of the Heroes. I can't remember what movie it's from, but uh, it felt fitting today. Do a little uh, movie themes since I did the March from 1941, which is a fantastic movie, by the way. Dan Aykroyd film. Too funny. So I have to clarify a couple of things from my last sit rep because everybody lost their fucking minds. My whole point of saying two things. So I was trying to discuss and talk around the the subject of the differences between homeschooling and public school and why there's trade-offs to both. And the the one thing that homeschool kids have in leaps and bounds over public school kids is the ability to do discernment. They think independently, they think critically, and most importantly, they are taught a value system. And you don't get any of that in public school, especially nowadays. You're taught groupthink, you're taught to run your life by your feelings, you're not taught to critically think, you're definitely not taught civics, and you're not taught to, to value anything. Uh, just go look at a school curriculum from in the last 10 years. You're going to see exactly what I'm talking about when Common Core came around. And everybody lost their fucking minds. They thought I was talking about them. The whole difference I was trying to pick. And this, this, the trade-off that you make is that you don't have the socialization, homeschooling, with that you do with, with public schools. But there's a trade-off for that, too. And that trade-off is that... Do you really want to integrate with groupthink? I mean, that's the trade-off. So there's trade-offs to both sides of the fence. And as a parent, you have to step in and enforce boundaries, deprogram kids if they're in the public school, and then socialize your kids if they're in, in homeschool. That's the only fucking point I was trying to make. And the whole, the whole, the whole end state I was trying to reach with that argument was that. There's no wonder that we as a country can't come together when you have an entire population of kids that have been brainwashed into good to get along to go along. That was the whole fucking point. But the amount of the amount of hate mail I got from people that lost their fucking minds, that's all you heard. Really? That's all you heard. The the point of the exercise, the whole point of bringing it up in the first place. It's just like the numerology thing. It's just like some of the other topics I talk about. It's about one thing and one thing only. It's about broadening your perspective and expanding your line of sight so you can look at things and understand different, not only different landscapes, but you can look at things from a different landscape and you can assess things from a variety of viewpoints instead of just being myopic in your view. The reason why we are here in this point in time right now is for the simple reason that our entire society of population has been gaslit to get along, to go along. That's why we're here. Political correctness ruined the public debate. Cancel culture destroyed the town square. That's why we're fucking here. If you can't open your mind and you can't look at things from a different perspective, you're fucked. With a capital F, fucked. 
because what's coming at us, and we are on the, the, the event horizon of something major happening in this country. They're publishing it all over the internet right now, that they're predicting a black swan. That's the CIA telling you they're planning something fucking big. If you want to survive this, you better pull your head out of the sand and look at the bigger picture because the bigger picture is fucking scary. If your pussy hurts because you're worried about what people think about your background, you're worried about the wrong shit. My God, the amount of stupid comments I got. And this is for the fucking twit that sent me the note about numerology. I get that you're I get that you're a Christian. I fucking get it, motherfucker. But don't talk to me about you know everything about me. You don't know shit about me. You don't know who I am or what the fuck I'm about. So if you want to talk shit about me, at least listen long enough to figure out what I'm trying to say. Otherwise, go fuck yourself. Clear enough for you, you fucking zealot. If you have any further questions for the Steve Murray Show customer service department, please press one. I am uh, I'm on fire tonight. I got a bunch of hate mail. It just pisses me off that people can't listen. Oh God! It actually what set me off was the whole Christian the whole Christian right thing. They they know everything. No, you don't. And it's I. Invariably, every single time I talk about Christianity or parenting, people lose their fucking minds. And what's coming at us is coming at us sideways. It's gonna it's gonna hit people in ways that they've never even contemplated before. And everybody's so laser focused on their little fucking pet issue. My God, Steve. Uh, Steve, we'd all like you to loosen up a little bit. And express your true feelings here. I will. I feel will. like you're hold back. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's let's start with Ukraine because there's a lot going on there. So Avernika actually fell. I think it was yesterday or the day before. So the the last Bakhmut just fell. And my question to you two is: Where do you think this is going next? Because I've heard peace talks. I've heard envoys to Washington. I've seen narrative shift in both. Um, social media, as well as in the news. And more importantly, I'm seeing a narrative shift. And uh, uh, ESS sent this to me earlier, which I think is priceless. Ukraine doesn't need all their territory to defeat Russia. (laughs) Does that sound like a narrative reframe to you? It's just a flesh wound. So, So Dave, we'll start with you. All right. Well, First thing I can tell you is I saw where a BTR-90 was knocked out or abandoned. Now, that doesn't mean anything to most people, but to somebody in the intel community, especially tactical intel, it's kind of remarkable because it's an extremely rare vehicle. It was a prototype. They only built about 10 or 12 of the doggone things, and if they're willing to put prototypes into the combat zone that they've had sitting on a shelf for a decade, it kind of tells you where Russia is in terms of logistics, supply, and so on. It 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 really begins to look like they're they're beginning to scrape the barrel in many regards. And I know we keep hearing that Ukraine's ready to fold, but when you see T62s last month, uh, excuse me, T64s last month 
rolled out on a train that were supposed to have been destroyed years ago, pulled out of mothballs. Now you're seeing a few few old uh, prototypes shoved into the line. I, I think that's very telling in terms of the kind of casualties, the kind of uh, attrition that the Russians have suffered. On the other hand, I've also seen propaganda suggesting that uh, there are Russian soldiers surrendering, surrendering to Ukrainians because of how unjustly they're treated on their side. I think that's a bunch of garbage, personally. Um, as far as where I think this is headed, I wish I could say there was going to be something decisive. I do think that they're considering changes in the hierarchy of the Ukrainian military and Ukrainian nation. But by the same token, um, let's let's face facts. There's a lot of the a lot of the thunder has been stolen from that front because we've been more focused on Hezbollah, Hamas, uh, what's going on, you know, on the on the board on the boundaries of Israel, etc. So I I still think we're going to see more of the same as long as the oligarchs are willing to prop up the uh, the Ukrainians. I did interestingly see uh, people are beginning to wonder if American F-16s might be lurking the skies in that theater because the Russians lost a number of high-performance combat jets this past week. And, uh, you know, that, that could be very interesting because the Russians were very clear if that's the case, uh, they're going to think this is stepping to another level. So I'm not, uh, that's speculation at this point. It's not confirmed. Well, it could but be NATO people, too, right? Could be what's British, that? It could be NATO too. It could be British typhoons. It could be, it could be Polish F-16s. It could be any, any NATO country, <laughs> Germans, right? We, we don't, but you're, I heard the same thing and I, I had the exact same assumption you did that we have aircraft in theater that are protecting specific targets. So I don't think you're off on that. Well, I, I but you know, cutting cutting to the chase, that is, getting down to the question that you asked, where do I think this is going? I think this this remains remains a a contest of incremental gains and losses, characterized by significant attrition and leadership on both sides that are unskilled, uneducated in proper application of maneuver warfare. I just don't think either side has enough of a punch to hurt each other uh, in, in a fatal way at this point, uh, unless you would ramp it up to tactical nukes or something like that. By the same token, when I hear you know um, the American leadership saying things like, well, if, if we don't hold Russia in check, they'll roll right across the rest of the NATO countries. Russia couldn't roll across my front yard right now. I mean, they're they're just trying to hold on to what they've got. So, I uh, again, I just I don't see this as anything more than a quagmire at the moment. I absolutely agree with that, and the tug of war is going to continue. I'm, they've they've won and lost the same cities four or five times each at this point. So, when you hear the news that. It reminds me of the opening scene of Team America where they completely destroy Paris and they're like, yay, we've killed the terrorists. And, you know, the terrorists were there to blow up all the monuments, but all of the monuments got blown up when Team America killed the terrorists. So they 
So what did you really what did you really win? And a lot of the cities that they're fighting over look exactly like that. But it's it's a slugfest, and it's interesting that uh, Carl Conrad and I both have M one tanks on our uh, our avatars. And and uh, Steve, you're also I, I believe in armor for a while. But maneuver warfare is a important. So for people that don't understand maneuver warfare, this is the the easiest way to break it down. If I have a bunch of bad guys and I want to go kill them and I just send tanks, the tanks are the biggest thing on the battlefield and they're going to get wiped out. And if the enemy has aircraft, they're going to wipe out my tanks from 100 miles away. So I need to figure out how to control the sky and then I need to figure out how to control the ground. And if I have any oceans or anything nearby, I want to figure out how to control the sea. So combined arms maneuvering is you have your scouts dropping off infantry, you have forward observers, you have... A-10s and Apaches and aircrafts are all communicating with each other. You have the scouts in front of the tanks. You have the tanks kind of plowing the way through, and you're bringing in your artillery. You're bringing in your beans, your bullets, your benzene. Remember, all of these armor and infantry and artillery units operate with fuel and food and ammunition and medical supplies, and they have to get morale items too, like mail. They have to get fresh laundry, um, which was optional in Desert Storm, right? I think I wore the same two sets of fatigues for like six months, but you have to maintain your troops that are in the field and that's very difficult and very expensive so the good part of this war if there's a good part is both russia and ukraine are able to maintain their field trans meaning that they're not going to have a whole lot of interference getting things to the front line because they're really facing each other kind of kind of in a classic civil war kind of line battle the bad part is that that front is what did we calculate it out to like 1200 miles long um, and if you add it from Odessa to Crimea and then from Crimea all the way up to Russia and then from Russia all the way over to, to Belarus, then you got a, a massive uh, front. And there's no way that they can concentrate those types of combined arms forces really anywhere. They're just spread thin all the way down the line. So it's it's straight up a war of attrition. It's a slugfest. And they they're, they have a they're like they're playing Chinese checkers, but they only have two colors on the board. Maybe three, you know, if you if you include the the U.S. or NATO, um, helping them out with ISR and and ammunition and stuff, but there there isn't going to be any penetration into Europe. That's that's a fantasy. That's just I don't know if that's in gaslighting or or just straight up you know paranoia shit posting. There's no it's way Russia's going to go to Europe uh, just at all. Think they have to keep the they have to keep the fear up, right? Because it's the only thing they have. So they they propagate with russia's going all the way to they're going all the way to to normandy if we don't stop them which is nonsense everybody knows it's nonsense and i think you're both right i think they the russians are suffering from years and years and years of corruption and and dissension in the ranks and then they've spread Wagner out across all of their units to do training because they literally cannot do maneuver warfare. I think Colonel Piper was right on that when he first said it, you know, a, a few months ago. I think we're seeing the downstream effects of that with this trench warfare that that has been going on for two years. I they, they could break out at any time. All they have to do is mass their forces and punch through in one place, and they could literally go all the way to Kiev. And I don't. I don't know why they haven't done that other than they must have massive logistical problems that go along with um, their movement issues. 
because it, it's not just the movement aspect it's the sustainment you talked about that briefly dave the sustainment piece of this i think is it was the most important thing in world war ii when the germans were pushing through operation barbarossa the thing that killed the the germans in world war ii was the fact that they outstretched their supply lines and their most of their infantry was still cart laden horse laden and they couldn't keep up with the tanks so the tanks outpaced their even their supply lines we're seeing the same thing that they have this massive land mass thousand mile front sustainment's their issue and i'm kind of surprised that they haven't um they haven't solved that problem yet but hang on let me add matt brack into this matt good to see you brother we are we are talking ukraine i'm not sure if you caught any of this but we're talking about the current situation in ukraine and we were we we're all lamenting on the fact that we're seeing sustainment and combined arms movement issues on the russian side as well as there's a sprinkling of older equipment which could just be their their tier tier two tier three units that they're putting into the into the fight or reserve units to save some of their other equipment it could be both but that's what we're talking about can you hear me matt steve while matt gets uh plugged in i was just going to add two supplemental comments that I thought were interesting. First was that Russia is utilizing uh, North Korean artillery shells. If they're having, and which reportedly are, are not very uh, well quality controlled, and they've been they've had a lot of disappointment with that. So I think that's interesting in that it shows you know again how much they're having to scrape the barrel. But then secondly, I saw where it appears that American M106 Paladins are now in theater for the ukrainians I, I i can't confirm that it was just one story that i saw but if we're if we're sending paladins two of which we don't have all that many uh, i think that continues to raise a red flag for me in terms of american policy it's uh we shouldn't be emptying our cupboards in the same way yeah we've been we've been pouring a lot of operational unit equipment over there for the last couple of years. Remember two years ago, was it the special forces were given up a lot of their recoilless rifles and some of their specialized equipment early on. And then it just followed suit from there. I think they already cleaned out all the, all the guard units, the national guard, I don't, the state guards probably been, sh you know, shaken down and just looking at Google maps at the local guard armories around Phoenix. I can see that there, I mean, there's a couple of Humvees and trailers. There's not a whole lot, in inventory that you would expect to see in a lot of these guard armories. Well, it also makes you wonder how many javelins we have left in our inventory as well, which, uh, I mean, those are the kind of things you just can't be given up when push comes to shove. So, so. We, we've given up so much operational equipment. It's not even funny. And by the way, I think Matt's having mic problems because is he's, yeah, he's working it. Um, the the we've stripped a lot of the operational equipment let's let's go back two years when this first kicked off they stripped all the 90 millimeter uh recoilless rifles from all of the sf units and sent them to ukraine and if you don't know what a recoilless rifle is it's essentially it's a tank it's a tank cannon that doesn't have recoil for lack of a better word and all the sf units would 
had those in their inventory because they were good against armor and they were good standoff weapons if you were line of sight. And they used them extensively in a number of different theaters. So it's it's amazing how much equipment we have stripped off and sent overseas. And we did the same thing when we went to Iraq. We we shipped a lot of E-Brigade equipment over there. We shipped strikers over there and we left all that equipment there. We did the same thing in Korea, the same thing in Vietnam, same thing in World War II. We left equipment overseas and we we put it into quote unquote strategic reserve or we handed it off to our allies. That's nothing new. What's new about this conflict is the fact that we're not at wartime production replacing this as we're using it, which means our home defense with all these military age males coming into the country is significant because it means we don't have a local defense to defend against basically 660,000 military age males coming across the border, soon to be a million every single month. That's significant. Uh, Troop, I know you got something to say about that too, because you and I were just talking about it. The the latest number is the size of New Jersey, the eleventh largest state, and that puts it into some very real terms. The Democrats want to make D.C. get statehood. Imagine a whole nother state worth of nothing but illegals who are entitled to vote in local elections. The entire state of New Jersey worth of them. That's going to have a massive impact. Even if we were to solve all the, the the ballot voting issues, if the currently controlled blue legislatures or the ones that are just occupied by rhinos fail to act, and we have any any portion of states and counties and cities that enact these local ordinances where where illegals can literally vote in elections, we're we're fucked. That's that is going to be the end. So, you know, where we go from there, who knows, but the entire state of New Jersey, and that's just who they claim, who, you know, who, who they know about, you know, their contacts uh, that they've made, not the, what, I don't know how many, how many gotaways there are for, for everyone that, that makes law enforcement contact, but the entire Michael state, Yon thinks there's 46 million. That's 46 million. 46 million have come into the country. And, and uh, uh, Matt, I, I can hear your mic now. So I, I know you're, you're good check, to go. check, test, test. Yeah, <laughs> Lima Charlie. So ready to, throw a, ready to throw a grenade into the uh, punch bowl. Yeah, go ahead. I mean, we're <laughs> we've we've covered uh, a couple of different topics, but where we started was Ukraine and the current situation, and now we're talking um, the the number, the influx of of illegals across the border. And I know this is near and dear to your heart because you post about it all the time on on Twitter. Oh, yeah. Well, so I mean, you... I, I wrote the enemies trilogy from 2003 through through like 2008. And in the 2008 book called foreign enemies and traitors, I had the North American Legion, which was illegal aliens officered by American trader, woke American trader officers. I mean, this is nothing like that hasn't been gamed out. If I'm writing about it, I mean, I'm not like Mr. Predictive programming. I'm not Hollywood. I'm just, you know, polishing the old crystal ball and, projecting ahead. And what we're going to see is very clearly um, some action against migrants that's going to be used in the mainstream narrative. It won't work in the conservative narrative. It'll work in the mainstream narrative to paint the, you know, the right-wing extremists as racist murderers. 
So we're going to see some action against migrants. This is why they're just blatantly rubbing it in our face, like with the migrant hotels, uh, migrant buses, et cetera. They're, they're basically dragging these people like a steak, staked goat, you know, right through, um, you know, conservative territory, hoping for a response. They're going to then use that to gin up, you know, the, the, uh, the narrative. And that will then be used to shoehorn these guys into police and the military. They, you know, we'll see all these stories about how, you know, Hector Gonzalez from Guatemala was like an officer in the Guatemalan Special Forces. Now he just wants to work for the Albany Police Department. And, that, and, and he, you know, he's got his beautiful wife and charming children. Oh, and all that's he wants great. to do is work, work for the American people in law enforcement. Oh, that's such great bullshit. And you know I like my bullshit. And it's going to happen. That's oh, absolutely it is. So you're going I, to see these guys that do not speak English. Because, see, they'll, they'll use, you know, Hector Ramirez from, you know, Panama or wherever as Colombia as, like, the, the poster boy. Meanwhile, Venezuela is doing, like, Marielle Boatlift on steroids and is empty, has emptied their prisons of hardcore criminals. So entire Venezuelan gangs, like the entire mafia from top to bottom and side to side, has just migrated to America. So we're, we're not going to see that except in conservative narratives on conservative alternate media. But in the mainstream media with Fox sort of, sort, you know, being like a little mushy in the middle. But all the standard media is just going to show these wonderful uh, migrants who were, that was an attempted massacre of these wonderful migrants by these evil racist white bigots. Well, and so they are going to put these guys in the military and police. Let me, let me, let me ask you a question because Patrick Byrne did a, a video, an interview last week that I thought was very interesting because he talked about that the, the Chinese plan overall is to flood our nation with all of these different um, ethnic groups and then to kill off blacks and Mexicans and then kill off most of Americans and occupy the country. But one of the things that he said that I thought was very, just right along with what you're saying right now, and by the way, I, I, I think you were spot on. Um, I think that was book two where you talked about the um, uh, putting them in uniform and, and the traitor um, officers. Well, in, in, the, in, the, in the Reconquista, the Aslan Reconquista book, the middle one, the red cover, um, you have the right. Milicia right. de Nuevo Mexico, which are illegal aliens, but that's just in the new, the new New Mexico unofficial militia, where they're given M16A1s out of the old National Guard armories. You well, know, that's, is, the, that's like the Yugoslavia model. You know, you have a pet militia, you just suddenly open the back door to the old National Guard armory. And the next thing you know, you've got a couple thousand guys running around, you know, with old but workable rifles. Well, but it's, that's it's, every armory now, right? The A2s, the M16A2s are all in the old in the armories. There's no ammo there, but they'll have weapons and. And it won't, and it doesn't even matter if it's like the wrong ammo for the for the barrel or whatever. It doesn't matter because no. it'll be fine at you know front yard distance. Well, let me so let me zero in on this question for each one of you because that this is something that Patrick Byrne talked about, which I want to get everybody's take on, and that is. He his premise, the reason why we haven't gone that far yet, 
is the 2021-2020 pandemic was supposed to drive everybody into conflict and civil war, and that didn't happen. And he, his premise is the longer we stay peaceful, the longer this disrupts their plan. And and a troop, I'll, I'll start with you. And what do you do? You, do you agree or disagree with that? Um, I don't. I don't agree with their with the intent of the pandemic was to instigate a civil war. But I do agree that anytime you get violent, anybody who's in power has a lot easier job controlling you. Uh, Ogliarchs and totalitarians love violent populations because it, it gives them full carte blanche to just wipe them out wholesale. So yes, anytime you have the uh, you know the, the the angry mob of villagers, you you get that you just get to mow them down. And the more violent they are, the better equipped they are. Uh, the larger that movement is, the more violence that you you get to use to to suppress them. So I don't I don't think that the pandemic uh, I don't think the intent of the pandemic was to was to spur a civil war. But I I do know that um, Matt, you you've researched this I'm sure deeply. But any anytime governments have a, a group in the population that decides that they're going to be rebels, they that's easier for them to deal with the rebel problem when when those rebels get activated. Dave. Well, I have a lot to say about this because I actually I thought that was a great catch by your admins to have that on the channel, Steve. I listened to it twice. Um, what he actually talked about was sucking it up for 10 months, not indefinitely, but for 10 months until we get through to this next election. Um, and, and you're right. What he, he did say that we had succeeded in subverting their plans because they didn't have a contingency for people remaining at home, remaining peaceful. He did specifically say, uh, troop, that his information was based on one of the highest uh, security leaks in Chinese military history, and that the official he was quoting had talked first about um, China using a bioweapon to uh, reduce uh, large numbers of our population, then followed by a civil war in which they had war gamed out that we would have approximately 90% casualty rates over the course of one year, this in combination with breakdowns in the supply chain. And so he went on to say that after this happens, there would be approximately three years of rain by the cartels and by the blue helmets. Now, what's notable about this is I've often thought of Patrick Burns as kind of a squishy guy in the middle, almost like an Elon Musk. You're not quite sure exactly where 100% of his loyalties lie, especially given the kind of friends that he has who have you know, tremendously deep pockets. But this was the first time I've heard him say, uh, when the blue helmets come out, that's the point where we need to, to pick up the rifles and resist. Because up till this point, he had pretty much sounded like a, like a QAnon psyop type individual saying, stay at home, don't react, everything's under control. So he actually came forth and said, you know, when the blue helmets come out, you know, that's when I'm, that's when I'm ready to rock and roll and get kinetic. Um, he did say that China, within China's plan, uh, the taking of the United States and repopulating with Chinese solves a huge problem for them, which is food. He talked about China having a, a tremendous reign of 2,100 years, but essentially explaining that the current situation has just been part of a 400-year dark age 
that uh, has kind of been a, uh, on the downslope for them, but they're, they're now moving to recover. He writes, Steve, uh, he talked about the Chinese killing, uh, you know, Mexicans killing blacks, leaving approximately 30 million Americans alive. That's interesting because that dovetails right into the uh, Malthusian oligarchs who want to rid the planet of, you know, seven and a half billion or whatever it was that the uh, Georgia Guidestones talked about. And and like I mentioned, he said this should have happened. This should have initiated uh, in 2021, but didn't. So we're actually we've pushed this back two and a half going on three years. Um, but it was 10 to 12 million. He talked about uh, just what you were mentioning, Steve, being pushed into security, law enforcement, military, things like that. And I was actually quite surprised because I'm not sure if he's been listening to us. One of the things I've talked about was Barack Obama and uh, Eric Holder and uh, what is it, Crossfire Hurricane, that operation, uh, being used to, to initiate movements of, of uh, assault rifles and so on. He got very specific talking about uh, taking aside millions of M4s and millions of uh, ammunition rounds and uh, storing them covertly in everything from postal offices to, uh, you know, you name the alphabet agency, but, but using their resources to hide these resources, or excuse me, using their, their facilities to hide these resources. Um, I just, I was, I was shocked to hear Patrick Burns talking like that and to, to do it with the specificity that he did. And I want to add one last comment. He also quoted um, a source, uh, and I didn't see it in in the information in the footnotes down below. They were supposed to put that in, uh, where this leak came from, what, what the actual source was. I would like to run that down and see how authentic that is. I think that's, I think that's pivotal in understanding what he's talking about and, and just the credibility and such. Oh, remember he's worked with the feds. So there's some credibility to it. The only, the only flaw in that, that supposition is that a lot of post offices have been closed in the last 10 years since the crossfire <laughs> hurricane, but that doesn't mean that there's not other federal um, buildings and locations I mean, where there's cool. stockpiles and, and weapon caches. So Matt, I know you got a lot to say. Yeah. This, so I'm gonna let you yeah. Know. Yeah. Um, I've been taking notes so I can remain, you know, fairly uh, coherent here and not to stump all over the place. I think, yeah, China has a, a plan to colonize many areas. I think Africa will have more, you know, will have more Chinese in Africa, sub-Saharan Africa in a hundred years than, than Africans, for example. And the same, same thing with America. They need the agricultural land and the space. Um, and and I, one of their main vectors, other than just all you know, uh, full, full um, uh, multi-dimensional warfare, but they're going to use biological vector weapons that are engineered to not kill Asians. Clearly, they're working on that. It'll be mosquitoes, fleas, you name it. Things that are going to and it does. And remember, they won't care if it kills, you know, ten percent of Asians as long as it kills 80% of non-Asians, that'll be perfectly acceptable. And that is very doable. They, they don't need like a sniper shot that doesn't hurt an Asian. 
they won't care if it kills 10% of their own people, as long as it kills more of the, of the people occupying North America or Africa. Um, so, and, and I don't, as far as like a schedule, like a timeline of when they wanted to kick things off, I don't get, that's too in the weeds. This is a, this is a multi-generational hundred year kind of process. You know, that's like looking at the Ukraine war and saying everything is on this uh, counteroffensive or everything was Russia going to Kiev, which was BS, but that's missing the picture. This is a much bigger, longer struggle. They'll use all vectors. You know, they'll, they'll use uh, uh, just creating conditions of anarchy to disrupt the supply chain, cause civil war in America. But at the same time, I have no doubt there are CCP agents coming across the border that are going straight to contacts that are already in place. It's much easier. I forget who uh, somebody mentioned weapons being, weapons being uh, stored here and there. It's irrelevant in this context. Human beings are 100 times harder to smuggle than an AK-47. You can put, a, you know, 10,000 AK-47s in a 40-foot shipping container, drop it off in North Dakota and just park it behind a, a you know, a warehouse forever. You know, so the weapons aren't the issue. Once you've got the people in place, the weapons will be will come out. Not to mention that the agents in place at safe houses They've, I'm sure they've been buying weapons, including sniper rifles, everything else, all the way along. You know, so they, they have. Yeah, they've been yeah. buying MBGs. They've been buying. Um, they've been buying ammo. They've oh, drones! Buying... Built buying and building drones in place. Yep. You know, drones can easily be used as a swarm weapon. Um, there's this. There's this concept of uh, zero day or day one that's often used. Uh, I saw a fabulous interview by Canadian Prepper with a computer security guy, and they were talking about cyber attacks in terms of day one or zero day, where zero if, day, you, yeah. If, yeah, if you if you breach, if you discover a, a fault in a, in, a, in a computer defense, you don't just use it because then you'll throw it away. They'll, they'll patch it. What well, you do is- Zero days, let me explain that real quick, because that's a good point, Matt. Most people don't understand what that is. So zero day- is a vulnerability that somebody in the dark web has identified in an operating system, in firmware, or in an application that has not been patched yet, hasn't been detected, hasn't been um, widely discussed, and they'll sit on it, they'll write an exploit for it, and they'll sell that exploit on the dark web. And a zero day, uh, and let's go back a few years to the, the Spectra and the Meltdown, those were those are chip vulnerabilities in Intel processing chips that allowed direct access to the chip, bypassing any defensive software to literally allow you to get right to the chip and send instructions to the chip remotely. And it was a massive muscle movement for the entire industry to patch it because the initial patch that, that um, Intel came out with killed the performance of all their chips. So literally you saw entire companies waiting to to patch anything for months because it, they couldn't they couldn't operate in the and, in the cloud and that's and that's at the level of like you know quote unquote russian gangsters right yeah that's they're good at, at that they're very good at, at the that. level of state actors at the level of you know china allegedly has like a cyber manhattan project on some island in the in uh on the yangtze river that's like their 
all their super smart guys that have been gone to MIT and everywhere else. So they're not going to use these things until they're using it all at once. And it'll be done at the same time as um, artificial intelligence driven uh, uh, mal uh, uh, misinformation so that individuals at the uh, on the day that it appears that the internet is going down, the last message you get will be something that drives each person to their boiling point because AI will be able to, to look at your, your internet history and say, what would piss off Matt Bracken and make him go ballistic? Let's send him that message as the last thing he sees on his computer. So all of this will happen, you know, in, 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 at the same time as a, you know, massive uh, denial of service. And here's another big one. People don't realize this. I used to think that most of the information was flying around satellites. It's not. It's going on cables under the ocean, giant fiber optic cables. Like there's a building in Miami that's super top secret. All of the cables coming into North America, or like a huge chunk of them, come right across through the Bahamas into a secret building in Miami. You think the Russians don't know where that is, that whole cable? They've probably got a Bangalore torpedo Mark 8 hose charge right across it, ready to detonate. So when this kicks that, off... Matt. You don't need that. You can literally just walk outside to the uh, the conduit where the cables sit and drop a couple of hand grenades down there, and you've just es essentially eliminated. Right, but, but I mean, they can America. have these things pre-charged in the yeah. middle of the ocean. Like yeah. Nord Stream was much more technical than just laying a Bangalore torpedo underwater across an op a fiber optic channel that's carrying you know most of the traffic from Europe to America. And you do this all around the world. It'll all happen at the same time. But anyway, the the um, I, I wanted to mention also um, that when we're talking about the UN and the blue helmets, we're not going to see blue helmets. If somebody is saying, when I see blue helmets, that's when I'm going to go off, that guy's a tool or a moron. We're not going to see that's blue me. helmets. If I see any blue helmets, man. I, that's, I, I've said that for a long time, that if I see any blue helmets, but they're I, not... And here's the here's the funny thing about this conversation, is that you and I know you and I have had this conversation. The rest of us have had this conversation. When I I said two years ago they are going to because an article came out in the Army Times two years ago, where it was a Fulberg colonel saying we need to put illegal aliens into uniform to make up for our recruiting numbers. This was long before yes, the situation. Yes, but they will out. not be wearing a blue helmet that says UN on the front. No. They will be wearing a Memphis Police Department uniform. They will I be think wearing... it's going to be a, I think it's going to be a multitude. I think it's going to be Capitol Police. I think yes. it's going to be local police. I think it's going to be military, National Guard, Reserve, and federal law enforcement. But, FBI, here, but, here, but here's I wanted I, I just before we leave this UN thing, here's where the UN is operating. Um I was with Michael Yan in Panama. He's he's down in Central America constantly these days. It's like a very it's a big it's like a hot zone. Okay, if you Google an image of Fort Clayton in Panama, the headquarters of the United States Army up until Jimmy Carter and the handover, was this massive, beautiful building looking right at the Panama Canal locks. That's like an army Versailles or an army White House, even better. And all during the 20th century out in front of it was a giant 
American flag and a giant Panamanian flag at equal size and equal height. But that was basically a diplomatic sop to the Panamanians, sort of like, you know, it, it, during the Warsaw Pact era, the biggest Warsaw Pact headquarters in Poland or wherever would have an equal USSR flag and Democratic People's Republic flag. But everybody knew the USSR was in charge, right? So up until the turnover of the canal, in front of this building was a giant American flag next to a giant Panamanian flag. There is now flying next to the giant Panamanian flag a giant UN OIM, Office of Immigration. Uh, that's like the branch of the UN that's dealing with this mass migration around the world. The United States State Department has one of the much smaller, like one-tenth as big buildings. It's now called the, uh, uh, what is it called? The College of Knowledge. Anyway, that this what used to be Fort Clayton is now Invasion Headquarters. City America, in, the yeah, City America of Knowledge. The City of Knowledge is called now. Right. And, and the State Department, so Tony Blinken, et cetera, they are now in the, in essence, I would compare it to a lieutenant to a general. They are willingly taking the subordinate role. They're like in between NGOs, like you know, there's Met Doctors Without Frontiers, there's American State Department and the little buildings, but the big building in the middle that, that used to be US Army HQ for the Panama Canal Zone and de facto all of Panama is now a UN building. And, and that's where the UN is ramrodding this whole thing for North America. And, and Michael Yan's been down there, you know, sending up flares constantly, but it's so hard to get anybody to, to, to pay attention. He took a kid down there uh, over the summer named Anthony Rubin, who goes by Muckraker, real Muckraker on Twitter. And he's been putting out great stuff. He's got very good technical video skills, documentary skills. But all of these maps that you're seeing, that like Zero Hedge had a big article a couple of days ago, all of these invasion maps that are put out, printed there in Panama, given from you know South America everywhere, showing the bus schedules, the trains, all languages, uh, helplines, um, hostels, their prices, everything. That is being printed in Panama in the former U.S. Army headquarters. I mean, it's it's mind-blowing what's going on. That's the U.N., but they will not be wearing blue helmets. If people are waiting for a blue helmet, then they're suckers. I don't think so. I think so. It brings me to a good a good transition point, right? So the the thing that I'm seeing now is narrative shift with Ukraine, narrative shift in Gaza, narrative shift in um, in NATO. And I think part of it's the pivot because of Turkey, but you know, I've, I've said on my show, if, if we see blue helmets in the streets, it's going to be very expensive for the UN, because I think every American in the, in, in this country, especially every vet would, they would pull arms as soon as they saw that. But I think you're right. We're not going to see it that way, but we will see, we will see them in uniform in local police because we're already right. seeing it and in the Los UN Angeles. Is, and the UN is running it from Panama, Fort Clayton, our U.S. Army headquarters. The UN is running it, printing the well, maps, 
building the camps with our taxpayer money. At the behest of the U.S. government. Because there's, yes, there's absolutely. State, state, yeah. Let's but this sure is Tony Blinken and Victoria Nuland saluting their globalist masters and saying, whatever you need, we'll give it to you to invade and destroy our country because America is the last redoubt. We are the citadel. People say, well, if America falls, where are you going to go? New Zealand? China can take New Zealand in one day with like two ships, right? Well, they don't even so, have a fighter plane. But that brings me where to a good go? point. The, the, the point is now, and the real question is, because I get asked this a lot, this is a good place to transition to that. How do we stop this now? Because I, I, I don't think we can. I think we passed the culmination point two years ago, but... The, well, the, I think the, it's going to get. I think it's going to get kinetic at the bus level. They have these. You can consider this a gaping tactical vulnerability that you're driving. Uh, you know, a big white uh, academy, quote unquote, academy bus with seventy five illegals on it. The the tires for those things cost thousands of dollars for one tire. Okay, I'm always looking for a massive ratio a houthi missile is fired randomly at the at the bob al-mandab waterway the missile the houthi drone costs twenty thousand. we fire three two million dollar missiles to knock it down iran can build those drones all day long and we run out of missiles for when we need them for an actual war well a 22 caliber bullet will take out a multi-thousand dollar bus tire. Doesn't hurt anybody, but all of a sudden the economics of busing migrants goes completely to shit. And that's what we're going to start to see. Somebody though will, will take it to the next level. There will be casualties and we'll be painted as you know white racist killers and the next thing you're going to see is illegals in police and military uniforms. This is just the next, these are the chapters that are yet to be written that are like in the outline phase, but it's clear as day. They're going to do that anyway, right? They're already, they're already moving in that direction to preposition. Troop, I know you got some thoughts on this, so I'll let you, there's a lot to download there and a lot to process. Well, just real, real fast. I coined on LinkedIn and on the internet as saying the great internet cataclysm, and that is basically when your Amazon wish list or whatever your inbox it doesn't just go down for a day; it just it goes down for months, and the shit fairy is not going to bring you anything. This is a problem with people that get prescription drugs that they can't oh. get from their uh, pharmaceutical or like CVS pharmacy or Walgreens, you can't call a 1-800 number because everything's driven by AI and there's no yeah. people. And you can't and buy now, them in advance. Yeah, you can't, and you can't stockpile them. And now the whole supply chain, the life-sustaining su supply chain for those things is going to cause a lot of problems. But as far as like the land sea cables, those things get torn up all the time by fishing trawlers, uh, by, by uh, subversive elements. There's fleets of cable <laughs> ships out there that are constantly repairing those things. The, the more and and yes absolutely all the all the nations know where these land there's thousands of these land sea cables by the way but they get broken all the time not a big deal a lot of redundancy the best way to to take down uh, enemies communications infrastructure is to go about a block and a half away from a data center that you want to take out and then blow up a couple of manholes 
because all of that fiber that's coming in and out of those data centers is in those, you know, basically in their own dedicated uh, fiber trenches. And that, that was, and that was the other half of the Metcalf attack, which isn't as much discussed. Well, here's a here's a, a quick little short story. I, uh, for a while there, I was a director of IT for a company, and we had to put a really important call center in Tucson and a really important call center in Yuma and a really important call center in, in Phoenix. So I worked with these vendors and I thought, OK, well, I need redundancy. So I'm going to go with two or three different carriers and I'm going to have this really intricate mesh network set up among these three different sites and nothing bad is going to happen to them. And we spent all this money, we did all this planning, we implemented all this infrastructure. And one backhoe later, all three of these carriers got taken out because every single one of those carriers runs a trench that's adjacent to the railroad tracks that go from central Arizona to southern Arizona. And it doesn't matter what redundancy you think you have, every, there's, there's no such thing as backhoe compliant fiber, right? So we, we do have uh, an ability to route around network disruptions, whether they're land sea cables or we, we, we have network satellites now. Uh, there's still an, enough, um, you know, wireless point-to-point -point line of sight once you, once you get on a landmass. But if you were to have a coordinated attack on that, which I guarantee you they're going to do, absolutely, it's not a matter of when they're going to get it back up because they can recover very quickly from that. It's a, it's a matter of what is your opening and what is your move while you have that window of downtime. And that's, that's where that coordinated, we're talking about combined arms live fire on a battlefield. I'm talking about having teams in place to blow manholes, cut cables and do all this other stuff. And then they're coordinated with these other units that go and do other, other types of asymmetric activities. Right, and, and that it, is going to happen in a very, very, very tight timeline. Because it will be very multi-vector and the, and the big prize is, ju is just social instability in our cities. Because if the food stops coming, the supermarkets get looted, they can't be restocked. Then the cities just go berserk. Absolutely. And if you just look at, I was looking at our uh, Maricopa County on Google Maps. If you go to SatView, we're absolutely massive. I mean, just massive. And the, there is no way that we're going to be able to sustain the nutritional needs or the water needs or the sanitation needs of, of this many people for longer than a week. And a lot of my, my writing and a lot of stuff that, that I, I do, it, not just water self-reliance is at the top of the list, but also sanitation. If your toilet overflows or it doesn't flush anymore and you have 11 million people that live in your county, it's going to get ugly real quick. And those are the easiest systems to disrupt and disable for a long period of time. So you can Especially in, the, in dense housing, uh, multi-story dense housing, where, I mean, sure, there are wealthy people in condos, but a lot of the people who are closer to the margin that do not have any stockpiled food, they don't have tomorrow's water if the tap goes dry. Those are the people that will be the most likely to absolutely lose it, you know, during a um, a supply chain disruption or any other disruption where they just can't get food. Absolutely. Or if, the, if the water taps go dry, all bets are off. And if you don't have an army, what's the best way to create a, uh, you know, uh, I mean, if you set off an entire local population like that, that gives you a lot of options as, as an offensive force trying to penetrate into anywhere or to control some other situation or to influence an outcome. And mainly right. it's, it's about influencing outcomes. All, all law enforcement and National Guard, et cetera, will be a thousand percent overload busy just trying to maintain order and any other targets will be wide open. In, in big cities, absolutely, they'll be overwhelmed. Uh, current force size, but 
we're, we're not making the assumption that they're already probably already moving illegals into the military and law enforcement in other states as well that we don't even know about or training. So, Dave, you've been fairly quiet. I want to give you a chance to <laughs> chime in. Well, you're right. There's a lot to unpack there. Um, first of all, I would uh, I would say, and it's interesting because a little bit ago, um, I realized some folks that I know in a family, the wife is actually in charge of the greater water supply system for the major metropolitan area near where I live. And uh, we were talking about this. Water is by far the greatest vulnerability. You can live without food for, you know, a reasonable amount of time. People will get desperate, but you can't live without water. And most especially in the American Southwest, you can't live without water. So that's particularly vulnerable. Amen. Um, the, the second thing I want to mention is this. Steve, I want to go back to what you know you have pointed out. They war game these things. The, the oligarchs, the Chinese, they do the same thing. They war game out step by step, and they've been doing it. They're, they are years ahead of us. They've got contingencies. It's not so easy in my mind to say, well, there's not going to be blue helmets. If the circumstances present themselves, for example, if you start off with a condition where you've got you've got bad guys crossing the border, they get filtered into the law enforcement, into the military, etc. You then have a civil war going on, tremendous attrition. You beat down the civilian population significantly. Um, both sides will have attrited quite a bit. And in it, at that point, if they feel they could get the upper hand, uh, particularly in a competition between China and oligarchs for control of the North American landmass, you could see UN troops introduced here. Just interjection: it, if, if there's UN troops, they will be Chinese UN troops invited in by Governor Newsom well, uh, and the governors of Portland and you know yeah, Seattle. Yeah, but I'm, I'm just saying you can create. You could, in your mind, create circumstances for all kinds of things. But right. the bottom line I'm trying to point out is these guys that are are our opponents, whether we're talking the oligarchs, uh, the city of London folks, or whether we're talking the Chinese, they war game things out at, at multiple levels over years and years. They've got contingencies considered, and they've got things they've been developing Matt, I, I agree with you 100%. Just like the United States was accused of of having weapons, bioweapons laboratories, developing uh, biologic uh, biologic systems that would only defeat Slavic people as opposed to other Western cultures, uh, which made the Russians, you know, very upset. Uh, the Chinese almost certainly are working on exactly the same thing towards Caucasians in general. Yeah. And they and, would be willing to take a lot of of self uh, sure, sure more Agreed. than other countries. Agreed, absolutely. And it's a cultural thing. The cost of life, the value of life in Eastern societies is is very different than in Western. Yes. So, um, you know, we've we've got to consider that these folks are likely a couple of years ahead of us in planning these issues. It's it's not just what we can lay out it's what's going to surprise us what's our flexibility our resiliency how can we manage situations uh you know i think some of this goes back to fundamentals like troop and steve point out quite a bit just prepping yourselves accordingly 
Um, and, and like you say, Steve, working at the local levels, you talk about how do we disrupt this? Working at the local levels, people understanding who belongs in your community, who does not. I think those kinds of things go a significant ways. Um, I'm not so sure how far these folks will get trying to shoehorn foreigners into our military. I tend to think that there would be a lot of upheaval in, upheaval in the ranks themselves. I know a lot of the senior level leadership is severely compromised in the United States military uh, based on you know people that Obama put in. But I also tend to think that there's more mid-level people that uh, would probably have something to say well, about this. You know, so far, we haven't seen that because at the border, and and you know, we can discuss Abbott and whether he's, you know, legit trying to stop it or he's really just a, a weffer who's busing them to other states, mm-hmm. which he's doing. But when they have built barricades, we see the we see um, feds and and Texas National Guard going in and lifting and cutting the the razor wire. So we haven't seen anything. And that's officers that are ordering people to let like let these thousand Syrian commandos in, let these thousand Chinese, you know, military looking guys in. If we were going to see it, where are the David Hackworths, Colonel David Hackworth, who wrote About Face, mm-hmm. terrific book. He was like he was a battlefield commission in Korea, uh, controversial guy, but a very, uh, you know, fast-moving, rising star in Vietnam era, he took it, He went on to meet the press or one of these Sunday shows and threw his career away. Then he expatted to Australia. Where are the colonels that are going to, or, or the equivalent uh, of civilian rank of Border Patrol that are willing to just go on the news and say, I'm not talking about like the former guy, uh, Homan, or where is the active duty guy that's going to bring the documents out and spill it on national TV? But they don't I, exist. Uh, and Matt, if they, they don't if, exist, if they don't exist don't. now in the face of a division of fighting age men walking over our border every single day. If they don't exist now, I don't think that they're going to exist <laughs> at the uh, at the you know Baltimore Police point. Department level or the, right, the United point. States Army level. Yeah, I, well, I I've said this for two years. Um, uh, the last general officer I talked to was over a year ago now, and. I, I was straight up with him. Like, where the fuck are all the general officers? Where, where, where are the doomsday tapes and the letters that show that this is highly coordinated between state and between the executive branch? Because I know you have them. And I was talking to a guy that was former six. And he's like, that situation will sort itself out. And what have we seen since 20, even before 2020, when Trump, when Trump was around, we didn't see any general officers other than Milley and a few others that were toting the line, which is what they're doing now. And there's no excuse. We're well past the culmination point where somebody inside the system should have come out and said, this is what's going on. This is the plan, because it could have gone to a uh, hundred different dissemination notes, including Whitney Webb, for Christ's sake. And she could have disseminated this because she is getting information about operations and about technical things that are going on that I know is only coming from somebody in the system. There is no one else that would have that information. There's no footnotes for it. There's no research you can do for that shit. And she's talking about things that are still in the system 
that are highly classified. So she's getting briefings. You would think that somebody would have fed her this information so she could disseminate it. Fucking crickets. Absolute fucking crickets. And the thing that appalls me the most is I talked to other lieutenant colonels that I served with that I thought were on the same sheet of music, and they're all wrapped up in the narrative. It's it's Get their pension. Just, Paycheck almost, and pension. Oh, it's I got I got kids in college, man. It's not even that, Matt. It's it's literally they got the shot in 2020 and they just went off the reservation and they believe everything that's said to them. In fact, one of my good friends I was in Iraq with and I'm looking at him as he's talking and I am my mouth was open because it was disbelieved at what he was saying. He was literally he was literally quoting me all of the current narratives that the biggest threat we have in this country are white men and domestic terrorists. Oh my God. I'm looking at this guy, fucking Pavlovian, like, are you shitting me? But that's an indication of where all of the other brainwashing the works, are. man. Brainwashing works. I'm and, telling you, know, you. When we have when we have uh 50 October 7 type attacks across the country on the same day, because we saw what like you know, two knuckleheads in DC, the DC sniper, uh one ex-cop in California. They can cause absolute havoc for days. Imagine, you know, uh, van loads of guys just doing the October 7th thing, hopping out of trucks, shooting up a place, shoot up a school, jump back in the truck, hijack vehicles. You know, when that happens, these same sycophants and, and, and toadies are going to look at the camera and say, we just had no idea this might happen. They've let a... 10,000 men a day walk across the border carrying diseases, you know, aiming for safe houses and weapons caches. They have no idea. They lift the barbed wire up. They lift it up. They cut the barbed wire. I have no respect for them. Anybody on active duty or in the border patrol right now that's not working against this is a traitor. They're a traitor. Period. (laughs) I agree. We can all see it coming. That don't tell me after that we have 50 10 7 attacks. Oh, we just didn't know that would happen. You're a traitor. And my well, my motto going forward, I have two two mantras or mottos right now. One is it's going to be war in 2024. I don't know how the war is going to look, but it's going to be war. Oh, they're not going to let Trump yes. be elected, period. And the other and that that's just a fact. And the other mantra is first the traitors than the invaders. There's no point in bailing out the boat until you throw the guys out of the boat that are drilling holes in the boat. There's no point in talking about deportations while they're open, they're lifting the barbed wire for 10,000 men a day. Well, it's, it's even bigger than that, right? And and I know both Dave and Troop will have comments on this, but I I saw that post on on um on Twitter, and I had to laugh because I'm like, we really are on the same page. The, the interesting thing to me is that no one is saying what you just said. And no one is also saying that you don't get a pass anymore if you're on active no. duty or you're a general officer and you say, even Border Patrol, FBI, local police, if nope. you hear me say anything tonight, hear this. You don't get a fucking pass anymore to say I was just doing my job. Right now, Article 104 of the UCMJ applies to you, aiding the enemy. 
And that That's is right. treason in, in its purest form. I don't give a shit what your fucking excuse is. If you are aiding the enemy, you are a fucking traitor. End That's of story. Right. And stopping invasions is black letter law in the Constitution. It's more rigidly defined than the First Amendment. You know, shall protect the states against invasion. We're protecting South Korea from North Korea with troops, right? We're protecting, uh, we've got people all over the place, in Syria, all over, everywhere, but not on our own border. We used, we had, we had Pershing until, uh, you know, every, all the way through, we had troops on our the Mexican border. I mean, the Dominican Republic has a border you could build at Home Depot for you know a thousand dollars a foot, and it's a hundred percent effective because they've got a soldier there with a gun. And Haitians know that soldier's got orders. If you cr cut through this fence, we're going to shoot your ass. That's all you need is the will. It's in the Constitution, Article Four, Section Four shall protect the states against invasion. And any any border patrol, police, anybody that looks at the camera and says, we had no idea these terror attacks were going to happen, I'll spit in his face. He should be hung. Because we do know what's going to happen. Yeah. So Steve, let, let me chat, just ask this question. One sec, Dave. Uh, so the, okay. I, I'm seeing the comments that are showing up in the comments section. I know the chat's dead. I'm not sure what's going on with it. Just bear bear with me, and I'll see if I can refresh it on my end. I'm not sure I can, but uh, I'll give it a try here. It does. Rumble doesn't give me a lot of control over the chat. It just shows up or it doesn't. I refresh my my other screen a couple of times, and I'm I'm not seeing chat at all. So I'm not sure what the deal is with that. Go ahead, Dave. Sorry. Uh, one of the things that Patrick Burns brought up in his statements was there's apparently some kind of an app. Not unique to the Chinese, but some kind of a of an app that everybody coming across the border, whether they're you know Middle Eastern or, or Muslim or Asian, whatever, uh, that is essentially uh, trying to help organize them, give them guidance, um, get them get them in on things. In other words, build them as a collective group within the United States, and that's something that that we should take a look at and see. Because if this is the case, uh, people need to know about this, you know, because that's that's the kind of thing that, that's a, that's a major step. In yeah, my remember opinion. when we had an FBI? <laughs> yeah, well, we know which side that's swinging to right now for sure. But uh, that I just thought that was a very interesting comment. You know, all the things that we're discussing, what this really comes down to is when and what is the trigger point that will be too much for the American public? Because if you're talking about people in ranks are just completely un, unaccountable and uh, can cannot be uh, relied upon to uphold their constitutional oath, okay, so where do we devolve beyond that? It's, it seems to me like individual citizens and in particular, people who, well, people like us, you know, retired veterans that give a damn are going to be what's left. I, I don't think it happens until there's a complete breakdown of supply and people can't get fed. And then it's too late. That's the zero day concept. You know, you, you wait, you wait, you wait and keep everybody fat, fed and happy. 
then you pull the rug out and it's too late. Well, that's what I was talking about when we've discussed this in the past, when we, we talk about uh, building isolation by cutting supply chains. It's exactly that concept. So I agree. I'm just not sure the, the wild card in all of this is the election. Do we get to the election? Do we have some type of crisis perpetrated before then? Uh, if we, yeah, Catherine Herridge says the CIA uh, mouthpiece, Catherine Herridge said her sources are telling her there's probably going to be a black swan meeting a false CIA false flag operation. Well, so we don't have me. Is that, does that mean we're not having an election? Are we not getting there? Like we've talked about, well, it, it may be something at the level, like let's say in, uh, in October, um, you have uh, Muhammad and Malvone snipers driving all over urban centers, sniping at groups, any groups of black people. They're going to say it's the white racists are, are going to stop this election because they know Trump is going to lose. So we have to have all mail-in ballots, but we can't have it until uh, February of 2025 you know, uh, because uh, the election, it just won't be possible. It'll be a state of emergency. And during a state of emergency, you can, you know, you declare a state of emergency. That was the beta test of the COVID, you know, aside from anything else, it was a test of what can we get away with? Can we just outlaw church service while the bar, the bar and strip joint down the street are open? Yes, we can. <laughs> Absolutely. I think there's going to be a phone app that gets rolled out where they reduce voting to happening on your cell phones. But because... nobody will believe it. And if, and if, two-thirds of the country think it's not legitimate, then it might as well not have been an election. Well, well that's true, but this, so there's two parts the to this. Vote in, mail-in ballots, too. Yeah, but there's two parts to this. So the if you want the public, again, influencing operations take a long time. You don't just push something out and people buy into it. The influencing operation they used to lock down 9 billion people was this notion that this virus was able to survive on surfaces for up to 24 hours. And literally it spread like wildfire across the planet. And then they spent six months talking about the importance and the need for vaccines. The, yeah. the whole mask mandate thing, that's exactly what meant. What you're both talking about is they were throwing stuff at the wall to see what would stick with the public persona. But once you instill the fear, then you build on the fear and you build that momentum to an outcome. They're building and they're trying to throw things at the wall right now because they've lost the cultural narrative. If you look at the narratives that they're, they're coming out with right now, the one about Ukraine where they don't need their landmass to defeat Russia, that's reshaping the narrative and reshaping the conversation so they can still save some face. They're having to pivot right now. If they take drastic measures, and they do something like a dirty bomb, a nuke, whatever the case may be, or a zero day where they bring everybody to its knees, at some point they have to maintain enough control to be able to communicate with the public. It's their Achilles heel. They, they have to, in order for them to be successful at any narrative, they have to have the ability to communicate with the entire population. That's not gonna happen over the, the EBS. That just won't happen. But meanwhile, so but meanwhile, communist China is just saying, Great, bring it on. Well, yeah, but the, my point is, is that the influencing operations you're talking about are going to take a significant amount of time. They're going to do a catalyst event that's going to justify martial law, and then they're going to suspend elections. They're not going to have 
a 24 election. They're going yeah. to suspend it. Yeah. Let's just call a spade a spade and stop talking around this. This notion that we're getting to 24 and that Trump's going to be on the I don't give two shits about that because the renter in the White House doesn't matter right now. What right. matters is who is behind the scenes of Congress pulling the strings. You notice how they just went on recess. They passed the defense appropriation bill. No one's talking about the border. No one. No one right. cares. Yeah. And Congress controls the purse strings. You would think that they would have defunded the FBI and the IRS. Because the thing we haven't talked about tonight is the fact the IRS is getting ready to hit people with 50% taxes this year. Imagine, imagine what America is going to do when they get their tax bill and they realize that half their income has been taxed over the last year and they weren't even aware of it. The IRS put out this very passive message back in, in July and, and August where they said, you should start adding extra to your taxes now so that you're not surprised at the first of the year. What do you think is going to happen? They've been building the narrative to the black swan. And now they're starting to ramp up the narrative to the black swan. Why? Because just like 9-11, they need a boogeyman to justify the attack, to justify the Patriot Act 2.0. Absolutely. Which is exactly where we're going. Emergency powers. Yes. So this notion that we're going to have this free and fair election, Patrick Byrne is on crack. That's never going to happen. And it's because they're so desperate right now to reclaim the cultural narrative. If you go back to 2017, 2018, when Twitter was just ramping up all of the censorship along with the rest of the platforms, because here's the other part that I think is hysterical. I have this conversation all the time with other information guys. You notice how we don't talk about YouTube or Google or Facebook or Instagram. They're still censoring unabated. Nobody's even That's talking right. about it. Yeah, Twitter came and went. Uh, yeah, everybody is focused on Twitter. Look at what Twitter's doing. It's the perfect psyop. They created the mind virus, and now they're they're creating another mind virus that all these other social media platforms are completely compromised. Google built the social scoring system in in China. That's the test bed for what they're going to roll out here. So whatever they do is not going to take down. The internet for good. They're not going to blow up the internet lines because they need that communication medium to influence the population to accept the social scoring system. Because remember, the end state here is not total annihilation. It's disruption followed by fear, followed by acquiescence. They want us to acquiesce to right. their yeah, demands. But a, a plan, a plan to ride a tiger is not the same as riding the tiger. And well, you've, they can they can plan an 80 percent controlled demolition, but it can start a chain reaction that they cannot control. It will start a chain reaction. They cannot control or determine the end point, the end state. But I, I would say the end state 10 years from now is we do not have 50 states under uh, our constitutional um, form of government because the, the, the wreckage is going to be so great. There's only going to be regional solutions. Some states will never recover. Well, I agree. And I think what what we're circling around here, was, which is where I was going, which uh, you preempted me, and I know both Drew and Dave will have comments on this too. We all agree to one thing, and that is the law of unintended consequences are going to show up at some point because we've all been in the military. Every one of us has stepped off the line of departure, and our plan went to shit the moment we stepped off the line of departure. 
That's exactly what we're circling around. The piece that they have an account for that you can never war game. I don't care how much AI you have, how many smart people you have. I don't care what you're using. You cannot ever account for the fog of war. And when it shows up, you lose control. And then you're just reacting at that point. That's, that is how I see this developing. I see them doing a catalyst event and then they lose control. I've, I've been saying this. I'm not going to stop saying it because that's how it, and I don't mind being wrong. I, I, and, I don't and mind China will be happy to see this all go to shit because if we do have whatever the cause is, whether it's a Chinese mosquito or our own uh, cities burning, China will be very happy to see a 90% depopulation of North America. They'll come but into I, California wearing blue helmets at Governor Newsom's express request. I, I I think they're they are going to be impacted by this just as much as we are because yeah, remember, that's, they're that's a, the hope. Net, they're a net importer of everything that they need that's, that's right. critical to their survival, right? And we're the breadbasket for the world still. No matter what anybody says, we still produce a lot of food. It, that that said, they can't guarantee the supply. They won't be able to guarantee supply lines and production from our country for at least three to five years, which means they have to replace all of that import, all those imports in some way, shape or form. And I know Russia can't do it. India can't no, do a, it. A starving, a starving China has the opportunity to go completely berserk. Um, in the past, starving China has just meant uh, they break into warlordism. But in uh, a modern centralized era, a starving China could do a breakout and just put 10,000 soldiers or quote unquote soldiers on every ship and say, the Philippines don't look very occupied to us. New Zealand is wide open and empty. We're just going to send I people think, out. And I think everything's on the table. I, mean, I, I don't think that they're going to come out of this unscathed is what I'm saying. And I think we, we I don't know, Dave Troop, you guys, either one of you guys got thoughts on this. Well, when I when I was talking earlier about how much wargaming has gone into this and how many contingencies layer upon layer have been developed, it's that's exactly in parallel with what you're talking about. The 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 chaos theory of warfare starts to set in when there's so many factors and you can head in so through so many gateways, you can't possibly control the situation. Yeah. There's too many events, uh, too many events, too many uh, unforeseen circumstances raise their head and so you know i i look at this this there's going to be a dark period it's going to take us a while to get through this no matter how this unfolds there's going to take people it's going to take men with some initiative to step over that line and take matters into their own hands whether that's at local level or national level and i think ultimately we'll come to that local level or regional state probably first and then regional yeah. Go ahead, Troop. Uh, well, I mean, to your point, I've, I've always said the only thing better than a really good, well-thought-out plan is a backup plan. Even a shitty backup plan is better than the good plan you went in with. And I kind of <laughs> think about this as a looking at all of these uh, these warlord situations in Africa and Central and South America. And Matt, you're probably the expert on this. And Conrad, um, force always manages to stabilize a region or an area 
more than anything else. And then whatever the prevailing force is that's stabilizing or controlling that region is the one that interfaces with all the supplies and the resources that the region needs. Right. We're we're massive and there's there's no army that's going to control the United States. So it is going to boil down to a I don't I don't know if warlordism is the right term, but it's it's definitely going to boil down to organized militias essentially uh, controlling their own areas. Steve and I have talked about this before, the whole blue helmet theory and the idea of controlling intersections or transport. It's going to get very expensive for these people to try to control every intersection in America, every key, uh, you know, key place where you would insert it, it into a freeway done. or get off of it. You know, it they can't, can't be done. Can't be done. They can't apply external forces by, by shutting down uh, logistical supply chains. And so the whole, the whole victory garden idea, I've been trying to grow a garden. I have an expert Juno's coming over tomorrow. Um, I had uh, Teddy spaghetti help me put in the, the, the best highly technical irrigation system that, that the greatest minds of science could, could have created in my backyard right now, ready to go, ready to plant my little urban garden. And even people like Juno, who are, who she's one of our users, and she's light years ahead of everybody else on urban gardening. And even Juno, a single person, cannot sustain all of her nutritional needs with her expertise in gardening no. after developing one for over 10 years. No. So there, there is going to be some external controls that any force that would want to control a region can leverage. But at the end of the day, if they want to do any if, if, if there's going to be anything happening, it's going to be happening through whoever the, the local controlling forces. Well, Michael are. Jan has studied this, you know, going back hundreds and even thousands of years. Um, and the, the pattern is always the same. When this breaks down, you can't just start growing victory gardens. There will be cannibalism and things will only stabilize when the population is at the new carrying capacity. And it can easily be a 90% die-off. I, I liken it to a fish aquarium. I use that in my new novel. You know, you have this beautiful, happy fish aquarium. All the different fish are swimming around, very happy, interacting with each other. They've got recreation. they got bubbles. they got a little treasure chest with a pirate at the bottom. You pull the plug, all the fish are dead. We're, right now, we don't live in a real world. We live in, in, in effect in, on like a... Uh, a Mars habitat with a glass shell over us with oxygen pumped in, you know, when the yeah, oxygen generator breaks yeah. down, y'all die. Yeah. Our, the, the today, external controls. <laughs> yeah. I think it's worse than that because it, it, you have, you have a, a bulk of the population that doesn't know how to do anything. Whereas anything. in the early 1900s, a, a good preponderance of our population still knew how to farm. They still knew how to hunt. They still knew how to That's fish. Right. Most of our population doesn't even know that. And, I, and, and even I can our, tell 90% of sure. our farms today are just factories. They're just horizontal factories that have to pump in, you know, fertilizer, chemicals, GMO seeds. They're not even well, that's really the other farms. part, right? Soil erosion and soil issues from, from removing all the, right. the just, rocks. And they're just horizontal else. agricultural factories. Yeah. And that's, that's the other piece that the elite have figured out. But I can tell you one thing for sure. No one's going to give a flying fuck what your personal pronouns or sexual orientation is when you're starving. I can tell you that right now. So all those snowflakes are going to be there. They're going to be in the first wave that go away. But at some point, communities are going to have to work together 
to figure out how to survive, which is why this is going to be local and you know, street by street. Well, it'll be on the other side of, of no matter how you game it, no matter how you work it, it'll be on the other side of the die off, whether in your county or state, it's a 40% or a 90%. The people that are still standing after a 40 or a 90% die off are not going to have pronouns in their biography. They're going to probably have like an eye patch. They're going to look like, uh, 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 Escape from New York, the uh, Snake uh, Plissett. Yeah, sure. Snake Plissett, baby. Right, he's <laughs> going to be the governor. Absolutely. I, I the 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 thing that we're circling around here is we all agree. At least it sounds like we all agree that at some point the best laid plans they're going to lose control of, and and I firmly believe that China will be affected just like we will be affected. Yes. Europe, Europe's fucking done. As far as I'm concerned, Europe's been done for a number of years. It's just now they're being pronounced dead with the influx of migrants there and the amount of crime that spiked there. It's just a matter of time before yeah, that. I, I still implodes. I laugh when people talk about we need to start deportations in Europe. They're just that's never going to happen. That's they're, like they're, the girl that's being held down by ten people being raped is now saying, um, "I wish a policeman would come." It's too late. But now he'll be an immigrant and he'll join in. Right. That's right. That's right. Or arrest her father. So the the other question I want to get to is there's a lot of rhetoric right now that, um, well, there's two, there's two things that I wanted to dial in on. I'm seeing some rhetoric right now around um, Putin being sick and it's been going on for a while. Putin handing off power. I don't know if you guys have seen this, but I saw this in the last 48 hours that there's a there's there's two conversations going on. One of them is there's peace talks in the background around Ukraine. And then there's this conversation around secession of power in Russia and the Putin sick. I don't know how much validity there is in that. But uh, the the scenario I want to talk through is let's assume that Putin, that Putin secedes power in the next six months. How do you think that will affect the situation in Ukraine and ultimately the situation here, because that there's, I think those are directly correlated to the survival of this regime and the survival of Ukraine. I see no sign of, of Putin's ill health. He did a four hour press conference. When did he do that? Like two weeks ago. Yeah. I hadn't seen it. He did a 20 minute prepared remarks and then did three and a half hours of taking questions from every reporter in the world, no economics, no. military, um, healthcare, off the cuff, no notes. Interesting, because the, the person I got that that said that to me is is still inside the system, which is interesting to me. So, okay, well, I mean, you can see it on TV. It's got you know subtitles and transcription. I I, no. work, I have a lot of Russian in Russia contacts and. I admin one of their channels for the United States. The the Putin made it very clear, and their government made it very clear that their whole purpose in this special military operation is the denazification of Ukraine, but mainly the demilitarization of it. And what kicked us off was the mid-course defense missile systems that they were pushing into their territory. That was, I, I mean, imagine if Russia or anybody else is putting intercontinental ballistic interceptors on the Canadian or the Mexican border, 
we would be we would be taking those those Absolutely. out. And this is what this is what instigated this. And they went, you know what? Fuck this. We're done. We're going to take care of this. They have no interest in going across the uh, the Dnieper River. They would like to repatriate these contested ethnic regions in Ukraine. Well, I think they'll take Odessa. That's on the other side of the river, but on the on the Black Sea. I was the first one to predict that, Matt. Before they even went there, I said the Russians are going to go all the way to Odessa and they're going to take everything 60 well, kilometers. The, the Maidan coup, something that's very searing in Russian uh, emotional memory is the uh, trade union building where Victoria Nuland's Maidan coup in Odessa they chased the um, the pro Russians into the trade union building and set it on fire. That was sort of like their 9/11 in terms of people on fire jumping out of windows. Russians are like that is you know Catherine the Great founded that city. It's you know she took it from the Turks, made it Russian, founded Odessa. It's Russian. So I don't think think that they'll be they'll quit before they have Odessa. They'll leave Kiev, which is. Uh, and, and but I think that they'll the I think the final line will be um, the east side of the Dnieper River, you know the uh, left bank and and the entire Black Sea coast, leaving um, Ukraine rump Ukraine with nothing, and then uh, Poland and Romania and Hungary will take a look at what's left. There you go, Steve. Matt and I Matt and I are one hundred percent perfectly in alignment on our predictions for that region. <laughs> Question is how soon? It's frightening. <laughs> Doesn't bother me. Not my circus, not my monkey. Steve, about a year ago, year and a half ago, Vladimir Putin was was rumored to be of ill health, some type of cancer, and then other people were talking about some type of brain ailment where he's got Parkinson's, and he was literally hobbling around. I re recall him coming out at, at uh, some kind of meeting in a public room, and he was he was almost stumbling forward with his with his left hand. Uh, looking like he couldn't use it very well. And then about a month later, I see the guy bouncing around like he just got out of the gym. And I thought, this guy has to laugh his ass off at the way that he plays games with the media. This he, this whole, that whole situation has been brought up several times. Oh, I hear and, it all the time. I hear yeah. it literally every and, week. And I, I've just, I've decided just uh, I'll get other people's opinion because I don't believe it anymore. I don't, well, I don't believe the Russians. And I'll believe are. it. I believe it when he's actually gone. Yeah. Ghost of Kiev. Yeah. Psyop. Well, let me let me let me throw a, a different wrench in here. So Alex Jones is back on on Twitter. And I have a lot of I have a lot of mixed emotions about um, Alex Jones. My my question because I have my biases too. Um and, and my thought is I think he's back on Twitter to be a dissemination note. I don't think he's back on Twitter because people wanted him there. I think he's back to be a dissemination note. Uh, that's at least my two cents. A really fascinating um, way of looking at Twitter, X, um, the guy who goes by the handle of Sundance on conservative treehouse, he's been posting for a couple of years now about what he calls this was back when it was Jack Dorsey, Jack's magic coffee shop, that the that the financial model of Twitter was completely bogus. Like a, it was a front organization for the deep state as a as a node of communication period, because the and, and he used the coffee shop analogy, Jack's magic coffee shop. Come into the coffee shop, free coffee, free donuts, 
um, you're just going to, you know, hear a couple ads, but everything's free. It doesn't, it, it doesn't compute the, the server uh, requirements, you know, the, the, um, the cost of running the place for, you know, a billion people was not ever covered by advertising that it, that it, and when the Twitter files thing all happened and Musk, when Musk took over, he's trying to find a new, a new um, financial arrangement, but it's still not covering the bills that there that it's still being run on deep state servers and that they have that, that form of control over him along with going after, you know, Tesla motors, et cetera. But it's, it's an interesting question because I'm posting stuff on Twitter that would have gotten me banned in a nanosecond three years ago, two years ago, did get me banned. I mean, you yeah. have people posting wide open, uh, you know, uh, race realism, IQ, these kind of things that you would have been banned for in a nanosecond. So well, it's, a, it's in, an open question how, how this is going to play out. Well, I've been in Twitter prison for two weeks um, since I joined, and it was your recommendation, by the way, um, since I joined. And I can tell you that the guardrails are still as tight as they were before. They've just loosened some of the, the verbiage that gets you banned. I, what I, my personal opinion is that Twitter was revamped to draw people back in for the cultural narrative. And it hasn't quite gone the way they want it to go because the people that are flocking back to Twitter is not the self-righteous liberals. There's a lot of conservatives coming back, but there's, there's this middle ground where people are questioning all the narratives out there. And I th still think that the, the long-term Twitter Starlink are all designed for control of the narrative, no matter oh, what. Yeah. Anybody... Starlink is Starlink is hundred percent paid for by the, uh, by the U S government. government. Right. It, it, it's, it's yeah. The, the idea that Starlink is up there. So a Maasai tribesman, can communicate with an Australian Aborigine on their, you know, smartphones is BS. Nonsense. Absolute nonsense. You're right. And uh, th just the way Twitter was, uh, the acquisition went, if I would have done what Elon Musk did during an acquisition, I'd be in prison right now because there's a, such a thing as a hush period where you're not even supposed to talk about two companies or, or acquisition of a company. So you don't affect the market price of the company. And not only did he do that publicly, he did it overtly for over the entire course of the purchase. He should be in prison right now for insider trading, which tells me, uh, shadow of a doubt, he's just a new middle manager for the deep state and the, the you know, recontrol re the narrative to put a different face on it so they can draw people back. And it's, it's, it's working to a certain extent. Yeah, but Steve, you have to look at social media very much like, uh, like the electric car industry that like to use social media for very specific purposes to control narratives and so on and so forth. The problem is they just haven't gotten the kind of compliance that they would like. When, when Twitter started getting throttled, people were jumping ship. You saw different things popping up left, right, and center alternatives. Okay. So they get, they get Elon Musk to come in here and do this so they can hopefully take back the narrative and bring back, put a new face on it, supposedly lessen restrictions and so on, and get people back to the Twitter thing. Look at the electric car situation. You've got all this effort, all this science and technology and, and, and money propping it up. And yet you look at you look at the car companies, Ford is is outright backing away from it. You and I have each owned a Ford and uh, I know you're a Ford guy. 
but they're, I mean, they've got reams of these electric cars that are just sitting there because people are not willing to buy them. They see through that. They, they don't want something that has such a short range, is easily controlled, and, and has all of the vulnerabilities. Yep. Well, I think so. I think what you're circling around, though, Dave, and which brings me back to Alex Jones, is that they underestimated the adoption by the public when they did the they did the whole Twitter show and the acquisition show and the Twitter files, et cetera. They're not getting the adoption they want. I wholeheartedly agree with that. But my question was really around: Do you guys consider Alex Jones to be a dissemination owner? Or you just you could you consider him to be deep state because you can make the case both ways for him. He's he, he's the bellwether for a lot of things and a lot of things he's called out. He's called out very accurately. And a lot of people, I can tell you, there's a lot of people inside the, inside the Intel community that thinks he's a dissemination node. And I, like I said, I have mixed emotion. I'm just curious. Do well, you guys think no, I don't, back number one, I don't trust anybody who's allegedly from inside the Intel community period. So right off the bat, their credibility is negative. I'm talking about guys I know, guys that I know, or well, that are guys still you knew, community. guys you knew that took the jab are now talking like you know woke. Uh, you know, woke not all of them, just just a few of them. But well, not all of I them. think Alex Jones is a huge net positive. I think he opened the eyes and and uh, you know uh, red pilled more people by himself over the last 25 years. Got to remember, he was one of the very first people that got on community access television when you had to like pay your own way and, and uh, uh, you know, monetize off, off the show. Um, he, he's, this is not like a Peter Zeehan who is a complete CIA shill, you know, a guy that shows up on YouTube and has suddenly hundreds of thousands of subscribers, even with, you know, the ratio of likes to subscribes is not only suspicious. It's like, you know, in your face, ridiculous, brand new studio, high, high production values, guys like Peter Zeehan. Yeah. They're shills and they're at Tim pool. Another one. Well, Mr. All those, Fence with the beanies. Yeah. All Al, Alex Jones has, has, you know, been a flamethrower. So what he said about Sandy hook obviously gave the, you know, the deep state a lawfare opening to, um, you know, fine him billions of dollars, which is, you know, makes uh, Giuliani's 147 million look like pocket change. You know, they've been trying to destroy the man. And like Trump, it's amazing that he's still standing and talking. 99.9% so of humans could not do that. So what's the play by Musk? Because I think Musk is a controlled asset, wholeheartedly a controlled asset. So I'm curious what the play is to bring. I don't think Jones. that he's a controlled asset or he would not be allowing one one Twitter what he is allowing on Twitter right now. So to well, me, just, Twitter is you, a bellwether or a barometer of what's allowable in 2023 to say in America. They, I, they're, they're, they're shutting him out of Europe. Europe well, certainly doesn't consider him a, a controlled asset. Europe yeah, is trying to time, though, block you Twitter. Did, you just said that the, the financial model isn't working. So he's to me, that's a financial move as much as it's a, as, as much as it's an well, you know, I, I'm a paid subscriber. I mean, I'm, I paid like a hundred bucks for a year to get a, a blue check and I was banned for three years. I mean, I couldn't even get a, a response from Twitter saying, tell me what I said wrong. I'll delete it. Musk came back. I've got, I pay the hundred bucks. So it, it remains to be seen if the deep state is still propping it up financially. 
I, I just don't understand the you know the 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 deep uh, the deep paper look the t- deep paper trail. Conservative Treehouse Sundance over there he goes into it and he's, he he says the the amount of servers the power just the electricity that it requires can't be paid with an advertising model. It's impossible. So I don't know. I'm I mean it's I'm using it while it's a tool available, but I'm also looking at it as a barometer expecting it to be shut down or I'll be banned again when they bring in a new regime. I, I think that Alex Jones has, uh, yeah, he's a flamethrower, but it's also hard to see in, in what way he would be serving the deep state. I, I tend to agree with Matt that he's, he's opened a lot of people's eyes. He said a lot of controversial things. And I think, I think he's pretty much over the line uh, as far as, you know, if he was a controlled asset, how he would have acted. Um, you, yeah. you you can put on a you can put on a stage show for a trial and things like that. Uh, that doesn't sway me one way or the other. But uh, I think I think Alex Jones is probably on balance on our side. I'm I'm not convinced that Elon Musk is on our side at all. Uh, the idea that one guy is doing all this stuff, no, nah, I. And you know, when when you to go to totally conspiratorial, um, I forget which what book it was, but the whole naming of Elon, what was the gosh, I'm trying to remember now, book that was written a century ago saying that the biography of him, the 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 man named a a man a child named Elon would be, you know, the the um, like the next Edison or Tesla, and the so his parents did they just coincidentally? I mean. then you go way down the wormhole on, you know, dynasties and, and, uh, you know, back to the Rothschilds and everything else. But, um, I, stuff that I used to mock, I don't mock anymore. Well, I'm not going down that rabbit hole. I, my only question and the reason why I'm bringing it up is that there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of social, social media influencers out there that, have got a lot of traction very very quickly and uh, this you know the the peter zihans those stratfor eggheads they've those guys have been the same for decades they say the same shit they publish the same i'm not talking about them or tim pools i'm not talking about him either because most of the influencers that are out there like joe rogan and some of the others they're never going to say anything that's either too far right or too far left because kryptonite for them so they wouldn't do it anyway but alex jones routinely throws out kryptonite i mean i i'll give him credit for the fact that he when he pushed the 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 information about the the covid mask mandates coming back that broke the internet and i look at i'm suspect of everybody i mean i i just put call spade spade i don't trust elon musk at all i i know where he's financed i know who paid for a lot of the acquisition of twitter i know the way the twitter acquisition went none of that shit sits well with me but at the same time, a lot of things that have happened on Twitter that have opened the eyes of people that were not paying attention is, is not something that you can dismiss easily. And it's not something you can just throw by the wayside and say it's not important because I think it's very important right now. Because yeah. what, we're, what we're fighting over right now is the cultural narrative. That's that's what they need it back. The elite need it back in order to get us to comply. What an amazing time! Their... What an amazing time to be alive and aware and on the internet. 
Yeah. So, and really what I'm driving towards here and the question that, that I'm driving towards is the, the question around, do you think there's enough critical mass from Alex, Alex Jones being back on Twitter? Cause I, I watched the reaction. I watched the stuff that he's doing. I watched the Tucker interview, which was fucking brilliant, by the way. That was one of the best. If I was in, if I was doing information operations right now, that would have been one of the first things I did was put him on on Tucker Carlson because I don't know if you guys have been watching what's going on with Tucker Carlson and I get away from the whole conspiracy around what he is or what he isn't. When you look at the stuff that Tucker Carlson has covered just in the last three months, he has broken so many narratives that have come out of D.C. and come out of the elite circles, especially stuff out of Silicon Valley. He's broken so many just in the last three months. I can't even, I don't think you can measure it yet. I, I've, I've talked for, for months and months and months about this is an information war that we're fighting. This is not, this is not kinetic. This is, this is not hearts and minds. This is, this is culture. And one of the 5G warfare tenets that I think they missed the mark on in the book is they didn't account for the cultural narrative that is so important in any information influencing campaign. And in the last six months, I've seen the consciousness of, of not just our society, but the consciousness of other societies shift because of what's going on with alternative media. And Tucker Carlson, by himself, I think, has changed the cultural narrative to the point where everybody's going, wait a minute, not sure I buy that anymore, whether he's yeah, right. And, and you know, the, the, there's a loose coalition being put together where the former outlaws and outcasts, if you consider Tucker an outcast after being fired from Fox, um, Alex Jones, Steve Bannon, and uh, and Tucker Carlson all go on each other's podcast now. And every time they do, millions of people watch. Every time. That is more people now watching Tucker than watched him on Fox. And the demographic of who's watching Tucker is also very different because the Fox 8 o'clock audience was mostly boomers. That's that was that's exactly the point I was reaching is that he's broken the cultural narrative just in the last three months from the interview he's done. And by putting Alex Jones on Twitter with him, basically accelerated Jones's um, return, but it also brought in an audience that Jones would have never had any other way because Tucker brings in the credibility. Absolutely. Like he did the spoof, yes. he did the spoof with Kevin Spacey where Kevin Spacey was playing. Frank Underwood from uh, House of Cards. He's playing the character. He's done it a few times now. And people missed the, the point of him doing that on Christmas. The point was he was mocking the system as we know it. Yes. And he did the same thing with Alex Jones. He's done the same thing with he. What was the interview he did where he was talking about um, UFOs? Was that Tim Pool? Was that who he was? Was that who he was talking I to? I can't and, remember that one. Anyway, he was talking about UFOs and just that conversation alone would have gotten you banned off every platform five years ago. And here we are in 2023 and we're talking about we're talking about narratives that people thought were conspiratorial and just off the reservation five years ago. And now we're having those conversations. And I think it's single handedly because of Tucker Carlson having those conversations. And uh, it, we'll see how how accurate Jones is moving forward. I, I I'm you know I've got mixed emotions about the guy. I've, I've 
I, again, I, I don't know about you, Matt, but I get inundated every day with what do you think about this? What do you think about that? The, 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 interesting, the interesting piece of, of the Tucker-Alex Jones interview was that everything they talked about was true. And Jones called 9-11 almost six months before it happened. I remember watching it. I don't, I don't know why I was watching it, but I remember watching it. Yeah. And, and he was spot on. And I remember showing up to the Pentagon like a week, week and a half after the, the attack and asking, where the fuck's the plane wreckage? There's no plane wreckage here. Where's, where's the plane? And then I, I was standing out there on the mound just, just where the plane supposedly hit. And I was standing there with an F-15 pilot. And I'm like, there's no fucking way somebody flew into this. There's no way. I'm a good pilot, but there's no way I could steer an airplane that fast, that low, especially an air where you have to come down over a hill and then level out within a few feet. There's no way. No I've way. got a fr- I've got a friend that flies that exact aircraft, did for years, retired from American Airlines, and he said, you know, you might be able to do a gentle bank into a great big building, but it would take an absolute expert to trim the aircraft properly to come in at that angle and do what was done and essentially hit the hit the building which is fairly short not not landing short not not hitting the roof but pretty much hitting right right in the side like like it happened and and that's to say nothing and nothing of the fact that these people were allegedly you know people who learned on video games and 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 taken a few courses at embry riddle aeronautical institute so you know that's i think everybody recognize the challenges with that steve but it's the same thing i talked to the first police officer who was on the scene at uh where flight 93 went in at pittsburgh or near near, you know uh, outside of pittsburgh at uh, near somerset pennsylvania and um and i said what did you see and he said well there's a trough here you know there was a trough there and i said well how about where the wings hit he said oh i never thought of that it was there was no disruption in the ground and the turf anything like that i said did you see the aircraft anything no it was really not much to see there was there was stuff strewn about but nothing bigger than your hand and the whole narrative is completely ridiculous um when you get right down to it yeah Joe's so I, I alex jones i think on balance is a guy i'm not going to say i trust everything he says but I'm not questioning his motivations. Elon Musk is a guy I put more in the camp of Bill Gates. I mean, years and years ago, Bill Gates was everybody's uh, wunderkind who who developed Windows and this, that, and the other thing. And we all know that's nonsense. Yeah. So, you know, I think years from now, Elon Musk will likely fall into that camp. Uh, we'll we'll find out what's what's behind the curtain in his. Yeah, I think so. In, in his thing. But All right, for now, coming up. I'll, ri- I'll ride the tool for now. We're, co- we're coming up on two hours. Um, let's go around for last thoughts for, for this roundtable. By the way, great discussion. I, I, I got to tell everybody that it's great to have disagreements because you see even amongst us, we don't agree on everything. We don't look at things the same way. That's the point of the exercise, to give you food for thought and it, it, for everybody to realize that we're calling it a lot of this as we see it. And even within the circles we have, we don't trust everybody in the circles that we have because there's so much disinformation out there. If you get anything out of this tonight, at least for me, and I'll stop talking in a second, get this, that 
we're we're trying to i'm trying to put topics and people in front of in front of you to give you the ability to look at this from a lot of different landscapes and you may not agree with the content you may not like the content you may not agree with my view or anybody else's view but the point is we're having the discussion and we're doing the critical thinking so that you can do the critical thinking in your local area and bring other people together that's the point of the exercise because they're going to hit us sideways all at the same time yes no one's prepared for that i don't care who you are i'm not prepared for that i'm going to i'm going to make decisions based on you know what and, and you've heard me say lawrence gonzalez's book deep survival the reason why i keep referencing that is First things first, you make a you make a decision and you accept the situation you're in, and then you start to make decisions. That's exactly what we're we're circling around here. So, uh, first, I appreciate everybody, all, all four of you jumping on, or all three of you jumping on this call and doing this because I know you guys have lives, and and, and I haven't said it enough. I appreciate all of your your, your points of view. I, I appreciate the fact that we can we can agree to disagree, we can disagree, and we're still on the same we're still on the same team. That's that's the other part of this exercise that I want everybody to take away from, because you may not agree with other people in your community, but at the end of the day, when this kicks off, we're all going to be on the same team, and trying to figure out people in your sphere of influence that you can trust when the chips are down. That's part of what this this critical thinking exercise is about. And, you you heard it tonight. People look at one thing, they see something else. We we don't necessarily agree on the personalities, but we agree on the message. And sometimes it doesn't matter who the messenger is; it's the message that's important. So, food for thought. And I'll hand this over to uh, to Matt, and then we'll go Dave, and then True. Well, I, I think it's I think it's going to be all out in this year. I don't think that they're going to have an election where Trump is even the risk of him winning, that they, they may figure that we can't cheat enough to win past the, the margin of fraud, and they'll come up with something. I think Catherine Harridge is a very reliable mouthpiece for the CIA when she warns about a horrible black swan event in 2024. I think that's going to be a CIA operation. Dave? I'll jump in then. Um, I'm not a pessimist. I'm not an optimist. I consider myself a realist. I think we've all been circling around the the fact that something big is likely to happen. But by the same token, uh, and, and indeed, if you follow the premise of the fourth turning and, and some of these, you know, periodic things that history happens in cycles, it seems like we're due for some kind of large event that we haven't seen in, in such a long time. But uh, on the other hand, I, I can't ignore history. And I think the, the deep state looks very, very carefully at a great deal of what's going on. They do in-depth planning all of the time, continuously. And if they think they're going to get away and be successful with executing their plan, then they'll move forth and we probably will see some type of black swan event. If on the other hand, they think that there are enough people awake to what's going on and, and quietly getting organized or could lead some type of revolt against them that would make their existence come into question rather than ours, then they might back off from the situation. I'm not saying I think that'll happen. I'm saying in the past, there have been efforts by the deep state 
to corner us and and uh and choke us out so to speak so i don't think anything is written in stone i don't think the die is cast i think there's there's a great many decision points yet to be faced i think the best thing we can do is continue to try to wake people up red pill as many people as you can steve you talked about it before you said you said hey i've seen people who are liberals even beginning to acknowledge you know, that there's things going on that just aren't right they absolutely are absolutely and are. and i think i think that um you know we just have to keep talking to people and getting the word out and as, as you say you know prepare hope for the best prepare for the worst and and get as ready as we can be amen i think something big is happening in the way that you charge a capacitor a whole bunch of voltage you know it builds up it builds up it builds up and then boom you have a big a big drop you know a whole bunch of current hits something we're charging up that capacitor now that something big thing is happening the putting alex jones back on twitter that who is that leftist vp that uh it, it caused a big stir a few months ago elon hired this lady she came from disney or somewhere she was chief censorship officer from somewhere else and she's here now they have a pecuniary interest and you all of you agree they have a huge amount of data centers and a lot of a lot of requirements for infrastructure and they're not paying for it through advertisers and the left doesn't have any howard stearns out there that are on twitter the only i mean who's the, like the leading mouthpiece of the leftist party it's probably that that involuntary celibate raging rachel maddow or whatever yeah, they're still on network news like Bill Maher, Rachel Maddow. Yeah, they are, but they don't they don't have anything really a, a presence on Twitter. So, if just from a business perspective, if I wanted to undermine the election, and I wanted to further um, hedge my bets, and this is just, you know with all the cheating, all the other stuff, but if I have a bunch of liberals that are triggered, like people get triggered when they listen to Howard Stern. I mean, there's people who literally listen to that guy just to get pissed off and complain about the stuff he says. And those are the same type of people that would listen to Steve Bannon, Tucker Carlson, and Alex Jones. Now, if they're sending a message that's triggering liberals and, and, and then the lib message is, oh my God, these MAGA extremist Republicans are going to destroy America, that is going to do nothing but put wind in the sails of the get out the vote campaigns that the Democrats are pushing right now. They're going to have every single college student there. They're already embedded in universities and resting homes and everywhere else. But by putting these three guys on Twitter with the massive amount of following that they have and the massive amount of audience that they have, I only see this recruiting Democrat uh, leaning voters or get, helping the Democrats with their get out the vote campaign because they're going to say, see what, see what Alex Jones said, see what Tucker Carlson said. And we're, and, and at the same time, the conservatives are, are getting black pillow. Oh, well, you know, the elections are stolen and there's no reason to go and vote. It's already over. They're just as machines are bad. They're going to steal your votes. Stay home. That's fucking us. It's fucking us. And anybody who says stay home, don't vote. It doesn't matter. Are, are fucking communists. They're leftists, in my opinion. Oh, no, I'll, I'm going to vote. I'm just thinking that they're desperate enough to try to totally cancel the election. Well, I think they're going yeah, to run there. this. They're going to run the runway all the way out. But I by putting those three conservative voices on Twitter, it's helping Twitter financially because a whole bunch of like you said a whole bunch of conservatives are joining Twitter now and people are paying. Right. Like I pay for my Telegram account. If I got on Twitter, I would probably uh, just go ahead and, and pay the fee. 
Um, so there's a lot of revenue that's coming in with these three voices. Now, whether any three of them are, are deep state or a mouthpiece or independent or whatever, I'm emotionally indifferent to that. But the message that they're setting out right now is getting it's getting conservative dollars pulled into Twitter, and it's also being used to activate the get out the vote campaigns for the leftists. Now, War Powers Act or, or just whatever, I, I would not put it past these leftists to straight up try to assassinate Donald Trump if they think he's literally going to make it and all the lawfare and everything else you know, has failed. I mean, look what they did to Rudy Giuliani. This guy led America through 9-11, whether it was a conspiracy or not. That guy was on the fucking ground and he did a lot of great work in New York even before that. And they just destroyed the guy. They just destroyed him. And they so I wouldn't put it past them to to do anything in their power to in the long term in the war gaming kind of work it out 10D chess sort of way to say if we put these three conservatives on Twitter, we're gonna re-legitimize Twitter because even the left was mad at Elon for, for how he took it over, right? Uh, we can we can use this to for controlled opposition. We can use this to activate the 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 leftists, the voters that just don't care anymore. Oh, it's hopeless because Biden is an idiot and everybody knows it. And they're not going to get anybody to the polls to vote for that guy unless there's some other fear driver or you know some hopium or something that they can inject into him. So I, I think that Steve and Tucker and and Alex on Twitter is like the perfect way to to motivate them. It's really I think it's helping the Democrats more than it is the Republicans. Interesting. I, I, yeah, I've got a lot of different thoughts on that, but we'll, we can save that for a different show because that's a whole show in and of itself to talk through the. And it's the insoluble tonight. <laughs> yeah. I, Remains I, I, to be seen. We'll know next year. Yeah. So I, I but I, you know, the interesting. And, and, it, and speaking of next year, he could be assassinated and we don't know for 60 years, like 1963 and JFK. Yeah. Well, there's that. I was I was wasn't going to go there, but I'm so glad you cheated up. But we'll be back. Uh, I'll be back Monday. Live chat Monday. We'll be back next Wednesday. Um, I, again, gents, I appreciate everything. God bless everyone. One team, one Thank fight. You. Thank you. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. Yep. Merry Christmas.